Hey everyone, welcome to What's the Why podcast with Tiago, Nick and Max. Join us on a perpetual pursuit of knowledge where we chat about the why behind all intriguing things happening on this rock called Earth. Hey everybody, and welcome back to What's the Why podcast this week. And this week we have two subjects, a little bit heavier and a little bit more discuss- uh, discursive. Uh, yeah, so this week, a uh, bit of a more controversial topic, a uh, topic that uh, came on uh, Easter brunch uh, with the family. So I thought I wanted to share it with you and get your input. Um, the premise of the conversation was based on um, menstrual products or um, the, the menstrual products that are either considered or will be distributed in certain countries, such as Denmark, Norway is thinking about it, New Zealand has thought about it as well, about distributing um, menstrual products for free in school. So to ensure that everyone um, gets access to safe and cheap, in this case, free menstrual products, because they realize that not everyone has um, has access to it. And so that uh, initiated a conversation and that led to a more wider question um, that a lot of countries are actually asking themselves on what behavior or what's the how how to classify those menstrual products. So female products uh, that are by any mean essential to the health and the well-being um, of uh, of women and that are uh, still according to some, like, uh, let's, let's debate, uh, but that are also not deemed essential. Um, so I'm going to give you an example. For instance, uh, countries like Switzerland, for instance, don't consider tampons or pads to be an essential product. And so over the course of their lives, it's fair to say that then women will have to pay for those products out of their own pocket. Um, it's taxed, so VAT-wise, for instance, at the same rate as any normal product. Whereas if I think of bread, for instance, or any like basic necessities, we'll have a lower VAT tax. And so more and more voices now are asking or requiring governments to change their approach to it. And be like, okay, can we please deem uh, menstrual products as a necessity to public health? Uh, and also stop the discrimination towards women, if you think um, in terms of budget and over the course of the last, how much that actually costs. Um, and in, in, in that sense, what can we do about it to reduce or even better, uh, get rid of that discrimination and how to, uh, as a government, as policymakers, how can we adapt the regulatory environment to make that approach fairer? So my first question to you guys uh, would be, would you, could we consider, should we consider that as essential products, we should get a different approach to menstrual products than other products like a lot of comparisons were made with uh, makeup, for instance, or um, a lot of questions with, uh, with man and with their shading products. Um, because they were like, okay, well, if we start, um, if we start, uh, subsidizing tampons, why don't we start subsidizing shavers, which for me is completely stupid because I don't think you can actually compare both the two. Um, but yeah, so my first question, should we, or should we not take a different approach? Okay. That's a big question to go, but (laughs) I think we should, but I think, I I think, I think, um, even just putting, making those comparisons, um, not the aesthetics, but it just reflects a completely detached idea if you're comparing menstrual products with makeup 
or menstrual cycle uh, menstrual products with um, shaving I, I think yeah because like you said those are those are aesthetics and that's the reason why some countries still tax it as like a luxury product but it's not it's like a necessity it's got to do with hygiene yes right? absolutely and, 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 and then does that include drugs by any chance this is one thing I didn't didn't really find uh, when I was doing my research is it purely like tampons and pads because it's called the tampon tax correct doesn't include um, so from what I understand, well, and I don't exactly know because it, in like the, the nitty gritty of it, but from what I understand, it's really the, the basic products um, that should be either subsidized or distributed freely. Um, some are actually even calling for um, for those products to be completely made available for free um, to 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 the human population, which I, which is actually a very good idea. Um, and then um, during our big talk uh, with family, the, the, the question was, okay, these are just tampons and pads. They're not expensive, right? Um, those two items, so no drugs related, but they're not expensive. So does it really make a difference in the budget of a family or a woman in the course of a lifetime? I think the annual, not, not the annual, the lifetime expenses on menstrual, pro menstrual products is around $5,000 per woman. That's not very, very expensive if you think of it that way. That's something that affordable, if in a lifetime you're just gonna spend $5,000 on, on those products, it's not something that it's gonna be, it's gonna be super expensive. But in the UK, 20% of the girls in schools can't afford uh, menstrual, menstrual products, and that's, that's where the problem is, because if they can't afford it, even if it's not for free, then look, three guys speaking about this, I don't even know how embarrassing and humiliating that must be for them to to not have and be be able to buy those products and yeah i don't know i don't i don't i don't even know what to say about this yeah i, I don't think we can answer the question whether it should or not but definitely have we have a lot of the answers around like what are the arguments that we've read right nick and if it's taxed as a luxury good, that was one of the biggest pushbacks. And I think that makes sense. Why? Like, it, it, it goes in line with, like, the pharmaceutical company questions, right? Like, why are you taxing or why are you putting 18, like, 18 time margins on drugs that are supposed to be life-saving in some cases? But in this case, you know, it's like an absolute necessity. True, and exactly. Why is bread and milk being taxed at 5% in the UK and not 10 points at the same tax? It should be at the same level, you know? Yeah. Yeah, just like EpiPens costing X many hundreds of dollars when, you know, the, the, the cost of it, it was really low. And so pharmaceutical companies are under fire for saying, well, you are charging people this because, yes, business-wise, it makes sense. It's big revenue. But the question was, what's for the better good of society? And, um, I, you know, most of the governments have actually started removing the the tax in terms of like taxing it as a luxury item they will still tax it but um i i, I see more governments you know during my research moving toward it, it's a human right it should be offered if not affordably maybe even for free especially in schools man. especially in schools yeah because it's a lot of these rules you, you almost can't consider it at like the 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 the, the high level which is one of the problems when you de debate these items which is at the high level, you can always come up with a statistic saying, or let's say, even if 60% of people can afford it, you know, you can use those kind of statistics because 40% of the population who can't afford it is, you know, it's disastrous for them. And that's kind of the question. It's like, it, what is your society aiming to do to protect the most vulnerable is what we strive for. in most. I, did, I didn't check this, but did you guys check if clinics would offer that? Like 
clinics in your local local town if they would offer tampons and menstrual products to women because they would they would they will offer for example uh, the pill in Portugal and they will also offer um, condoms as well so did you guys see if they offer tampons or any, anything like that I think in a lot of the clinics that I know, I, I asked uh, I asked a family member like they said you know if you ask for it and stuff like that they they will have it, but again you see that's one of the things comparing that to uh, birth control products is I think it's really not because once again birth control is like then you open up that whole pro life you know whatever like birth control religious uh, aspect of it ideally. yeah no I mean for me there's there's there is no compar comparison to be drawn to pretty much anything, right? Um, and and that's where a lot of the arguments against those law, against those um, those those levies or those taxes getting reduced, uh, they make that comparison. But the thing is, it's just as essential as bread, basically. I mean, it's it's not. And what I what I f what I really feel is that why is that even a question it shouldn't be compared to anything it should it just should be considered and if we look if we look i mean in 2004 the first country to actually complete tax on it was kenya just um from the the premise again that millions of girls and women in kenya just couldn't afford it and i think it's it's actually a bit like you reduce the problem when you say well it doesn't really mean that much in the budget of a woman that might be true that might be true for a top executive in sweden that's a, i'm just gonna say something right but in comparison in a lot of countries um it, it's not the case and i mean there is now a campaign like a global campaign to just either cut or reduce the taxes and the amount of countries or if you look at the united states the amount of states are now reducing those taxes just because it is no longer a question um, and so what I'm actually a bit disappointed, um, is that first of all, I was not aware that there was, uh, that there was a differentiator. No, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being very honest. First of all, I was not aware. And secondly, um, I was appalled. I was really appalled to know that, uh, that only as of January 1st, for instance, Germany reduced the, the VAT on menstrual products from 19%, 19% to 7%. I thought it was like 25 at one point. Did it go from 25 to 19? Like, oh, that I don't crazy. know. Yeah, I know. And, and and I'm like, okay, um, I'm not saying that government should just be distributing it all along and just like putting money, like taxpayers' money in, in big companies' pockets or the companies that produce it. But I mean, that means that we are just so oblivious or ignorant, which is even worse, <laughs> or the, the like we decide to just ignore that problem. And this is just one of the many other things where I'm like, okay, are, it's 2021 now. Um, we have much bigger issues. This shouldn't be one. Uh, and I find it true that it is discriminatory towards women, regardless how much it costs, how much it represents, or what percentage of the budget it represents. I find it a discriminatory tax, even discriminatory cost to a certain extent. So I would push that something is done to, to balance it out. Um, now that's the that's the interesting question. That's the second question I have for you because I was pretty sure that we all will be on the on the same line here. Uh, is like how, what could we now do? Yeah, to to balance it out, 
right? Uh, because by all means, like just throwing money at people is not the best way. So how could we sort of, and I don't like this, this term because it shouldn't be, but subsidize, like for lack of a better term, subsidize those products to reduce that imbalance, to reduce that one variable that just adds to that gap between gender. So obviously I believe that you should decrease the tax to, to essential tax, like all the other essential products. And then f then you should give freely to, to schoolgirls and as well to homeless women. Hmm. That that should that should yeah. be that should be in clinics and pharmacies and, and and homeless women could go there and, and get it for free. Well, I actually want to mention something else quick, Nick, is that you are obviously not the only person that didn't even know about it. I watched an interview with uh, Obama where he admitted it uh, during the interview. He's like, I didn't know that. Because in the States, those are state-level taxes, yes, not federal correct. taxes. And that was like one of the things that he's like, oh. So he mentioned his Obamacare and how you know he would, he would include such items as part of that, so it's affordable health care in general. But I think you know, even that was something up for debate, which is, do you view it as a medical product? And right now with these taxes, you're not viewing it as a medical product. And I think that based on the necessity of it, there's no way for me to see a scenario where it shouldn't, where it should be taxed more than the standard item or whether it should be taxed at all, considering that. Do you also think that, that the state should limit the margin on them, like the margin that the pharmaceuticals or companies can make from, from tampons and women's product? So if it costs 50 cents to do it, limited that they can't price it at six pounds or seven pounds or something like that i think the problem is that if you start controlling the free market you'll also limit um you could limit um innovation that's one of the big things like if you make a product or an industry completely unprofitable or very low incentive um then you're kind of relying on the truly well-intentioned uh, entrepreneurs to kind of better it and though they do exist but the idea is that that's a lot of government intervention and that's when you'll see predominantly right leaning parties will be so against it you probably shot yourself in the foot politically by doing so yeah um, that makes sense but sorry nick just to go back to your question like how could you know what are the ways to do it, it, it one of the big questions uh, one of the big points that get made and the big question that gets asked is okay but you know tax in theory go towards a service and so if you want to make this like a public product and then you cut the tax off, then it, you know, then it comes to the problem like, well, where does the money come from in order to provide these services and products to the, to the public? And it's not that simple, which is where, again, you, know, you need to get the best medical minds together with the best uh, economic and political minds. Because you know, when someone says it's only 25 million, okay, but you know, it's nothing compared to the overall budget. But that's 25 million that's got to come from somewhere. What are the examples that you, you read? Well, first of all, the the first, um, and I mean th this whole campaign, right, and this whole discussion um, is is here to 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 set something right, and first of all, is to stop considering tampons and pads as medical items. They're not medical items. They're just like as essential as toilet paper. We don't consider toilet paper as a medical item, right? Huh. And okay. so. Yeah. And so that's the first point that I think that everyone needs to get. It is not medical. It's just something we need to, or women need to, um, 
to feel safe, hygienic, and comfortable, and that's and that's it. It's it's something that happens to you once a month for a very um, very long part of your life, and and this is where um, this is where this discrimination need to stop. Um, and second of all, um, I think everyone agrees that we shouldn't be throwing money, especially taxpayer money, at everyone. But we need to set the record straight and saying, okay, if that is an essential product, first of all, let's tax it and consider it as such, and and really kind of break down the taboo around you know menstruation and everything that that is tied and inherent to it. Um, and then in, in certain cases, and so the case that we made was, first of all, that schools should be able to, um, to provide it, not only because, um, because of the financial uh, issue, but also because it's also a very delicate time in a girl's life. You might have your first uh, period at school, for instance, or in a, that could be a very embarrassing moment for, for, for a person, right? And so the idea, first of all, is just to, to get, to give that environment that's safe and and comfortable environment to people so the first one would be to, to tax it and then to give it at schools just to normalize the relationship we have um, uh, with um, with menstruations at a very young age and then in certain official uh, say capacities so in official buildings hospitals prisons you mentioned clinics uh, but you could think about municipal buildings to just have that as a um, as a amenity uh, and the other and that might be a bit pushy, but the other thing would also be to ask companies just to provide that as a regular amenity in in bathrooms, such as you would, you know, hand sanitizer, um, soap, etc. And so that indeed you were talking about the money needed to found that would come from different sources. And so we spread the cost because that's the only real issue that we have across different actors. But in exchange, we kind of break the taboo around it, and we and we familiarize the whole population towards those products, um, and and that has to come like this has to be kickstarted by by your regulatory environment, I think, and by government sending very strong messages through taxes, cut taxes, um, and and putting that disposal in schools, like many countries are now doing. Yeah. Yeah, well, in the states, a lot of times, every time they talk about cutting, depending on which which end of the politi political spectrum you sit on, they'll be like, "Take it from the military." <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. That's correct, but it's subjective, basically. What do you find important? And you often hear someone's rhetoric um, show bias. You know, oh, I don't think military spending is that important, so you can take it from there. I don't think this, and and the reality is no. Like, maybe it's it has to come from multiple items at the same time. To, 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 to enable it. Yeah, and I mean, we, we can take the example of Ireland because Ireland is actually the only country uh, right now that went from a nearly 25% VAT tax on it to zero on sanitary products. Uh, and then followed by, I think, the UK, which, which still tax it at 5%, but also a necessity product. But it's possible. So Ireland uh, has reduced it to 0% and it's working out. I think Canada has the same thing. Uh, oh, I don't know whether they just removed the, the luxury tax uh, part of it and they still tax it normally. Because like, I think the UK still taxes toilet paper by 20%, no? That was like part of something. I really yeah, that was, the, that was the other... Um, that was the... Yeah, Canada is at 0% as well uh, this yeah. year. And so it is in India, Malaysia, Uganda, Kenya, Tanzania, and Trinidad and Tobago. And Australia. 
Yeah, and then you look at uh, Uganda has some other. Uganda has been uh, accused of many discriminatory actions on the government, but they have a zero percent tampon tax, which is yeah. It shows you how subject by subject, if led by the right, like and kind of social leaders. But the UK just it, they are exceptional. The UK just removed the the sanitary tax, like tampon tax. Oh, that, yeah, that was like a big thing for them. Yeah. But, and and when I read that article, they said that actually, um, according to the votes and the sentiments, they actually wanted to do it before, uh, but they couldn't because they were still part of they were subject to EU yeah, exactly. agreements, and the EU taxed it as a luxury product, which prohibited the UK from kind of doing their own thing on on on, on menstrual products like changing their taxes, which is kind of not a great item, you know, if you're debating whether to, to, to leave the EU block or not for a lot of people, low hanging fruit. Yeah. But then, yeah, and maybe we can, uh, we, we can close on that, on that argument. Um, my brother had um, a counter argument. He was like, okay, uh, you mentioned toilet paper earlier, but uh, you know that toilet paper is also taxed as a luxury item. It's not considered an essential. Um, and that also made me think that there might be other products that might need, that might need a, a bit of a reconsideration out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's I, I think that's the right way to look at it. It's not saying, well, look at these products, etc. Because that's one problem with law, it's precedent. But the idea here is that, well, if you're trying to find comparables, you'll never, like, you could, there are examples that you'll never find one. And so you should look at what's right with this product. And I, I think all of us here at least agree, and it seems like all the lawmakers are now starting to agree as well, if it's if it's discriminatory in one in the sense that because it, it only focuses on one gender, yeah, I I think it should be at least subsid. Okay, it should be for sure taxed at a different level, but in terms of being made available, hundred percent. You know, but then it calls into question like why are diapers so expensive? That's like a common complaint with the young parents. Diapers are exceedingly expensive. You see, but you can't make a comparison. You it's sometimes very dangerous to make a comparison because you're like, well, that's one thing or not another. But the idea is these are necessary human needs. And so what is the point? It's like, what is the goal of your country's democracy? Like, are you trying yeah. to go and make people's lives easier? Because I would you, say, yeah. you could also always take the devil's advocate um, approach and say, yeah, you decided to have Kate's mate. So you know that costs were inherent to them, right? Yeah. If I really want to push it. Yeah, and then if you're ecological, you could be like, well, diapers are terrible for the environment and you should be using reusable, which is another interesting trend in this, which is like Africa is trying to encourage disposable menstrual products, while the West is actually, you know, like a different step where they're trying to encourage reusable ones like the cup. And then, you know, then it actually helps some arguments in the West um, when they say that this should be subsidized or should be provided by the government in, in that, you know, okay, this is also environmentally friendly and reusable, so the cost of it is different, etc. Um, and it's just interesting to see how the political landscape works. Like, you need more reasons other than everyone needs it. <laughs> yeah. You know, to convince people. <clears throat> Definitely. Tiago is very pensive. He is. He is. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It, it, were there any other like major questions that you had come across? No. Like, no. And thank you, you very much for um, for uh, giving the opportunity to bounce ideas. Did your parents have any like particular opinions on this? Because your parents are medical professionals. I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> I asked my wife, right. and she immediately said that they all should be free, all women's product. But then she used the argument of. Uh, why condoms are free, and then I said, okay, that's not a really valid argument against it. But yeah. 
Did you speak? Well, did let's you, open up another. Did you speak with us with Bell? Uh, no, no, I haven't. But let's open up another can of worms just to finish it off. We have a little bit of time. The idea, like we're coming in here very cautiously, very prudently, saying we're three men discussing this. So we really wanted to focus on the different arguments that are out there and try to have some th sympathy. But there is a huge a sentiment too, which is, well, men shouldn't even have a say in it because all these laws were made by men at the time, you know, and that naturally you're going to have some discrimination built into it because we have um, ignorance on a lot of just, yeah, on a lot of the suffering go that goes around it. I got to say, I kind of agree no, with it. come on, um, dude. That's, what the no. hell do I know? Well, unless you're a doctor. So, so, no? so the, aren't there doctors, men, doctors that treat women? Like, aren't they fully versed on how a woman body works and what the necessities of the woman body needs isn't that but we're just saying that this is not a medical thing no, i'm saying it, it, it is but that it's not i don't think i don't think any woman should decide on this this is a it's a shared economy it's a shared community so everyone should speak about this for, for me it's the same thing but with yeah. the other kind of worms like abortion that everyone should speak about it not only women but see the, the thing is like after doing the research on it uh, you see a lot of uh, arguments that justify it in every possible but you see very few arguments against it because it's not really arguable arguable in that sense you can't really argue against it you cannot argue the fact that it's a necessity necessity product and so my question is yes it the laws might have been made by men but the worst part is actually there are just no laws to to kind of regulate that not because we don't want to, but it's just because we completely, we decide to, to live in, in, I don't know, bliss ignorance <laughs> uh, uh, about it. And, and when, you know, like we get to the point where a lot of women, um, or actually no, like a lot of professionals in general have, have voiced their concerns and be like, okay, why is this still the case? Instead of just saying, oh my God, we didn't even think about that. Yes, let's change yeah. it immediately. Uh, and cut the taxes because that's a non-starter. You still have I don't know why you still have countries and 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 regions or states um, that refuse to do it, and I don't understand why because there's no argument against it. Most of it was financial. They always come back with like, well, you know, the taxes because of this, and you're like, because it oh, but it, it opens a big kind of worm. So it, you say that it's a necessity, and because it, it's a necessity, it should be free. So, but what about all the other thousand necessities that we have? Should they also be free? Why only particularly this one should should be free? Well, this one is particular because it only affects half the population, and it discriminates one half of the population towards another. Like we as men, for instance, will never have to bear the costs of menstrual products, ever. Or another way to put it is, Tiago, like, not, not you, I know that you just reflect a argument. That Don't make right, me but... look like a bad guy, Max. Exactly. You're being this so Swiss, enables... Max. <laughs> <laughs> this is a sensitive <laughs> subject, but this enables equality of life. That's kind of like, that's what you're saying, Nick, right? Because it's focused on half of the population, it is not just like a necessity, like arguments, like just food, you know, like, oh, everyone needs food to live. Yeah, we're not saying it's just to live. This allows, theoretically, half of the population to to, to live the same equal life, you, you know, like in terms of ease of life and the difficulties faced in it. And that's why it's more important because fighting 
discrimination in this case in this argument is the important thing instead of trying to debate whether you truly need or not the most disgusting arguments i read was like well you can use cloths and things like that but that's exactly what they were using to to do to the counter argument which is like what that what the hell like you're asking someone to live a subpar life that they get humiliated for it particularly as children that's scarring yep. it and, is yeah pretty strong feelings on it all around i think definitely <laughs> cool yeah, th thanks for that subject man well um, thank you very, thank you very much uh Tiago, True mix. another heavy subject so in Portugal, a couple of weeks ago, the, the Portuguese High Court just rejected a bill to approve euthanasia. And there's been a big debate about euthanasia in Portugal in the, in the recent months. So I decided to bring this subject more about just to speak about what euthanasia is, uh, what the arguments for and what the arguments against it, and as well a little bit of the history of euthanasia. Cool. So, awesome. Yeah. So in the Portuguese example, uh, the the government approved euthanasia. So everyone approved it. It, it won uh, to, to become legal, for the bill to pass to be legal. But the president, a devout Catholic, he, and also a law teacher, he is a law professor, one of the best lawyers in, in Portugal, he said that there were some um, ambiguous, ambiguous concepts of law within that bill. So he just sent that bill to the high court to review it, and the high court um, deemed it unconstitutional because in the portuguese constitution it says you should not violate human life so they found seven judges found that the euthanasia violate violate, violate yeah. uh yeah violate yeah. woman uh, human life uh so yeah they they made it they made it unconstitutional but hopefully hopefully we will be able to revise it and pass it because yeah with this you already see my stance on euthanasia i i think it's a I think it's definitely something that we should be able to do, decide on our own life, what to do with it. Cool. So let's start with what is euthanasia. So euthanasia is actually a Greek word that means good death. Yeah. Oh, really? There's two types of euthanasia. Passive euthanasia, which means the refusal, refusal of a patient to receive treatment that eventually leads up to death. And this passive euthanasia normally is accompanied with uh, painkillers, with morphine or something like that. And then there's an active voluntary uh, euthanasia, which is essentially you requesting your doctor to terminate your life. So the good death to give you a painless death that can end your life and the suffering that you are going through. There, some people say, argue that there's a third type of euthanasia, which is um, active, involuntary euthanasia. But that is essentially murder, right? So euthanasia, do, do you guys think it's something recent? What do you guys think? Do you think this is something that we've been struggling about now or do you think this is something really really ancient um so it's it's actually uh it, it's actually sort of fairly close to home um because i'm i'm dutch uh, originally and i live in switzerland which are the two among the two only countries that uh that allow euthanasia um on on a large scale that that's actually written into into law um, for me, it is a fairly recent discussion. However, the actual act um, of euthanasia um, in any form that you just described um, is is a fairly recent discussion. Like we finally being able to put words on it over the past two decades or so. Um, and we also have a change in opinion about it. Um, so not only from, from doctors, but from patients themselves. 
um, and I mean, there are a lot of pros and cons. And I mean, it's an incredibly controversial subject, um, uh, especially depending on the culture you're from or where you where you live. Um, but I think um, I think for for a long time, euthanasia was was directly associated with um, suicide, which is another very controversial topic. And because of that, um, it has a very bad reputation. Um, whereas if we talk and, and you were talking, uh, Max, you were talking about my my parents with medical background. Uh, I mean, this is a subject that's been around forever, um, and and it's it's often very tacit. Um, but I mean. This is a question that doctors have to ask themselves every day, unfortunately, and that patients probably um, are asking themselves every day. Yeah, just just a point that euthanasia is not a not a recent topic. Euthanasia has been around for thousands and thousands thousands of years, been discussed controversially thousands or thousands of years. So the Assyrians, for example, this is not this is the active but involuntary euthanasia. So Assyrians. If you if you became terminally ill, they would tie you up and throw you to the river. So this is this is not comparable to euthanasia to today. But the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans they had a very liberal view to euthanasia, even though they were ruled by the Hippocratic's Hippocratic's uh, oath. I don't know if I butchered that that name, um, which means that you can't harm life. But still, Greeks and Romans they would respect the request for euthanasia and they would. Have poisoned the um, poisoned the patients with with a poisonous plant called hemlock. You even have a hemlock association trying to legalize euthanasia across the United States and and across Europe as well. So it's something that is very very all very ancient. It's been contra controversial. That then became kind of a taboo when the Judeo Christian religions ro rose to power. So when the when they rose to power. Uh, Still in the Roman time, it became a taboo, which aligned with the, which aligned with the Hippocratic oath. And so, until the 19th century, until the 18th century, it was hush hush. No one could really speak about that. It was kind of blasphemy, you know. So yeah, then oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the, the current cultures look very look poorly upon any of that old um, tradition of. Um, essentially, what it reflected was to get rid of those that they considered useless. Right, like senicide is um, uh, Tiago, like the, the the description of it. So to to get rid of older people in your society because they couldn't contribute and they were a drain on resources. And the idea is we have more than enough resources now that we should protect and you know continue to treasure the old. That is exactly um, that but, is exactly one of the major arguments against it. Sorry, Max, I interrupted you. Yeah, 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 and and the other side which gets spoken about too is um a lot of times when it, if it is someone old but let's just talk about someone who's not old and also just very sick um they say that um when you get to that level and there is no hope and you are very dependent on your family members for example or just on anyone they feel like life has no point and so they enter a depression because you feel like one you're a burden on those around you and that second of all there's no life for you uh, so to speak, because you have no, you don't have the ability to to do what you want. If you have like a neurological disease, or you're just suffering constantly, and you're thinking to yourself like, why? Let's just go straight into one of the arguments, which was like, okay, but let's say you are one of these people, um, particularly if you enter that depressive state, you're open to abuse, and a lot of people say we shouldn't have this law because you know there is a lot of examples of abuse where for inheritance, for example, uh, or for benefits of any kind, like they. 
instead of trying to do it for your good, they're doing it because someone doesn't want to take care of you. And that's why they say it's illegal. Uh, the, the thing is, for me, um, euthanasia is not just something that you're gonna, you're just not gonna buy your syringe off the counter and 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 give yourself a shot. I mean, it has to be, it has to be regulated. Uh, and I guess that nowadays euthanasia is regulated in a medical environment uh, on based on medical facts. And I personally think it's it's uh, it's a way for someone to either, as you say, end the suffering. Um, because for me, that's the biggest dilemma of the Hippocratic uh, oath, right? Um, like, would, like yes, you you should cause no harm, but um, aren't you also causing harm by trying to keep that person alive uh, that is suffering an endless pain for nothing? Um, and it's also the possibility to offer someone uh, like to end their life with dignity, uh, just to, to okay, um, you are at the point in your life where you don't want to or that, that you're just in a state that, okay, just let me go. Um, and if that is made with a conscious mind um, and with your consent, with your practitioner's consent in a medically controlled environment, um, I mean, it's it's not really open to abuse. Uh, you cannot just order someone to be euthanized. Um, and so it's for me right now, we also in a in a in a time and in most cases in an, in an environment where this can be controlled and regulated for the good of people. Yeah. So, so one but, of the main arguments against it was that uh, wouldn't you cheapen the health system if you do this? So because it's not because it's not legal, doctors would try to keep the patient alive the most that they can. The moment you make it legal, it kind of kind of cheapens it. Like uh, what is worth more, keeping it keeping the person alive, or just letting it go. So it's one of the wow. arguments against it, and it's, it makes you think that can change the behavior of doctors if you do that. But I mean, um, as you said, it's been around for a thousand, thousands of years. And how many cases, and that's a very controversial question, uh, which we will never have the answer to, but how many times did people, doctors, policymakers, turn a blind eye on such cases where, you know, you had the syringe of morphine just being injected in the IV of someone just to end that suffering? Because, but the, the main argument was like, you do it with the patient's consent. If the patient in full is full capacity knows what what they're doing, um, and and yeah, of course the counter argument is like, what if they're in a coma? Um, you should still do whatever you can to save that person's life. But at some point, it's also your choice as a person not to want to fight anymore. But to Max's point, we said we spoke about depression. I'm sorry, Max, you you were about to speak again. Max touched on depression, but whenever whenever you have depression, you don't have that world to live anymore. So. Should you allow someone that that is diagnosed with depression to ask for euthanasia? That's not a terminally ill disease. If you get diagnosed with depression, then they could say you're not in sound mind. So then your your law writing has to then build that in to say whatever word they use to be like, you know, in the right state of mind to make sound judgment. Otherwise, they have to get a caretaker that makes a decision for you. And I was focused more on that, where they say you're not of sound mind, so your kids take over. And now some, some people, you know, we would happily let our family members make decisions for us. But there are, are a lot or very little, depending on what your comparison is, of cases, but that's not. Yeah. And they, it, that's the question where is one too many? It kind of goes back to our tampon discussion, which is you have 
let's say you have 7 billion cases and only 1% of it, you know, let's say less than 1%, that's still a lot, a lot of people that get opened up to abuse, you know, yeah. and that's yeah. the morality question. Yeah, because cause coercion, is, oh, coercion yeah. is one of the, the major, major arguments against it. How, how would you detect coercion against euthanasia? You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't detect it. See, and this, this aligns with the other argument against it, which is you abolished death sentence because you didn't want to kill anyone that was probably innocent. So you didn't want to commit that mistake. But now you legalize euthanasia where you open the probability of uh, killing someone that actually didn't want to be killed because of coercion or... or depression or influenced by someone it's it open i don't know it i think i'm all in favor of euthanasia but it opens really deep questions that you go okay how do you regulate this yeah because you have these horrific examples too of people who go around yeah killing their patients killing old people yeah and you know one of the one of the arguments there is well if, you know that thing can happen and that is still straight up illegal imagine what happens when you make it legal I don't I don't believe in that either because I think that unfortunately you kind of always striving for the betterment of it and so using very few examples to prevent the greater I don't want to say the greater good but the idea is like yeah there's so many people suffering and I've had many I've had a few people in my family kind of you know die of cancer and, and tumors and and it's it's a painful process you know and we're not at that age yet, you know, thank God, but imagine one day our parents are in whatever state of suffering. They ask you and they beg you, you know, um, <clears throat> that's, that's a rough one. And I just, I don't know, I'm caveating it for myself. So you can see already like the, the selfish nature of this. If I was in that situation, I saw my parents suffering, particularly let's, let's bring in other moral questions here. Weed. You know, cannabis is one of the more natural ways of painkilling, and that's illegal in some countries. So the only way you can prevent your parent from suffering is to take opioids, etc., or, or whatever, morphine. If they ask you, like, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live on a hospital bed for the next five years, whatever years of my life. If they have, like, liver cancer and they've got three years to live and it's all suffering, what the hell are you to say no? No, of course. The, At, so my father has, he has lupus. He has lupus for the past 30 years. He did hemodialysis for 15 years. He got a kidney transplant uh, in the last 10, 10 years ago. And now he's currently under pain in the last three years. And, and, he, and he told me, we were speaking about euthanasia this last week, and he told me that that if his kidney fails, because his kidney is not in a very good shape now, the, the, the one good kidney that he has, if it fails, and he, if he has to go back to hemodialysis, he will ask for a passive uh, euthanasia, because passive euthanasia is legal in Portugal, not active, but passive, where the doctors, where he, he refuses to get a hemodialysis, he just succumbs to it. So that, that is painful to, like, to, to hear from your dad, but then, but then I understand his perspective where he's telling me that it's super painful, that hemodialysis is super painful, and he, he did it for 15 years, he doesn't want to do it again, and that he prefers to let go than, than to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough, man, it's a tough, tough point. Cool. But it's good to talk about it, though. Yeah. And and I think what you what you just did and it's great, be brave. Uh, is just is is that you remove the arbitrary component of it, and for people that would say, okay, but it would put too much pressure or it would just open it to abuse. No, if you have people that had that discussion, 
in advance or even during and that you involve family members, the patient, the doctors, and that you have a general consensus um, and that it's no longer just one person deciding whether or not that person should live or die. Um, and as you say, Thiago, uh, everyone has a right to die somewhere or to, to just end their life or to just go with dignity. Uh, and that is that should be an essential right. Even and I feel you uh, as painful as it is. Uh, we've had the case uh, in our family as well, um, but it was at least it's clear. It's clear, and it takes away a lot. Like knowing that you know that you can end the suffering of someone or offer them a dignified way to go. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, there's this principle that your life belongs to your to to the individual, and it's your decision to dispose of dispose of it. It's entirely yours, and no one should should say anything against it. Well, that's that's a that's a, a principle that you, you can agree or not. Religious people would say. So I've I've also looked to religious arguments, and it's very simple what they say. They say that life was trusted you by God, and only God should take your life. And I think that's a, a very superficial kind of argument. That I, I say. Let's let's go back a little bit to like let's say exceptions to the case, like strong arguments against or like concerns. What if you're young? So I'm going to read out very quickly, like what is eligibility in Ontario in Canada? You have to be eligible for public funded healthcare. Okay. You have to be 18 years or older, capable of making healthcare decisions. So like the sound state of mind, have grievous and irremediable medical conditions, have a serious and incurable disease or disability, advanced states of irreversible decline in capability, Enduring physical or psychological suffering caused by the um, state of decline and, and intolerable uh, and intolerable to the person suffering. So like that kind of has like a subjective a aspect to it, because instead of saying this is what is unacceptable, what do you consider unacceptable? And natural death has become reasonably foreseeable. I think that's the tricky one, which is like, are you definitely going to die or are you maybe going to die? And it's the suffering. That's the reason this seems to open it up to both. But let's say. Um, one of the examples that get brought up was what if you're young and you have certain psychological conditions that maybe still allow you to be deemed as sound of mind, but you just don't want to live anymore. And that's just pure suicide. And some people who somehow use that example as like, well, what about these people? And we think it's completely separate. But if you look at what's on paper, you know, some people are like, no, nah, you can't, you can't differentiate. No, no, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I saw an argument that says that um, when Ill, payment, Ill patients receive good palliative, palliative care. They really want. They really want to end their lives at the end of it if they get cured. So they they always go, okay. So I want to end my life, but I got cured. Thank God I didn't end my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's something that is common in, in New Zealand because New Zealand is one of the other countries that has um, that has euthanasia approved, and this is something common that happens there. The other question, though, uh, let's take let's talk about the countries that have authorized or have laws regulating euthanasia. Did we see a surge in such um, cases of abuse or arbitrary decisions based on death, or do we see a a massive euthanasia tourism, for instance? Are a lot of people coming to the Netherlands or Switzerland to end their lives just because they want to? There's a very small amount of countries that have it legal. So in Europe, only four. 
the Netherlands, Belgium, Spain, and Luxembourg. You said Switzerland, but I couldn't find anything about active euthanasia in Switzerland. Then on the rest it's of the world, it's not part of Europe either. <laughs> uh, no, Switzerland is part of Europe, not European Union, but it's part of Europe. Oh, fine. <laughs> then, then rest of the world. Canada, Colombia, <laughs> New Zealand, and then funnily enough, only the western state of Australia has legalized euthanasia. Not the whole of Australia, just that particular state. Um, huh. but, but what I've read about is also to avoid citizens from other countries to travel to that country and get euthanasia, it, it, you, have to be a, you have to be a citizen or a resident in that hmm. country to be able to, to request euthanasia. So to avoid that of so Spain just legalized it to avoid Portuguese people to go to Spain and to, and to request for it. Australia had one of the crazier examples where um, they had like their loopholes in it. So even the providers of uh, the tools, um, the Vice documentary that I watched was a guy who was taking nitrogen in like tanks and you would put a bag over your head with a, pi uh, with a, with a little um, pipe in it and it would fill the bag up with nitrogen like the nitrogen they use for beers and stuff like that. That's why the company is called like Mad Dog Brewers. So you would exhale all the air in your lungs and hold your breath so that you know you really get get rid of all the oxygen. Put the bag on and then you're going to take in a, as deep of a breath as you can and you inhale all this nitrogen so you pass out straight away. And then you continue to breathe the nitrogen that's in the bag that continues to fill and that's the way of dying. And the um the reason they highlighted this case was because it opens it up to another moral question which is um if you, you know, you know, once you, you die from it, you're obviously there with a bag overhead. And I think some people don't want it to come across as suicide for, I guess, medical and uh, financial reasons behind it. Um, it means someone has to take the bag off of you. And so one of the doctors kind of uh, reported that kind of um, that activity because he said, well, now you're involving a second person who is technically committing murder unless the law justifies otherwise yeah, that's that's a great point because when you request for euthanasia someone has to administer <clears throat> that uh, that lethal shot so you're basically requesting someone to kill you and it's it's a very hard thing to ask someone to do i, I don't know I, I don't know what you guys think about that but i wouldn't i wouldn't want to, to do that ever i don't know i don't know what you guys yeah. think about that well, no no but again easy to say that if it's not you in that situation like until a, a really good friend asks you or a family member asks you um i think maybe we focus on the other point which is the, one of the ways they try curb it is they say it has to happen in a hospital it has to happen in a certain location and that opens up a whole kind of exceptions as well because they say okay we're dying and really old they prefer to stay at home they don't like going to hospitals totally understandable but then if you stop that you know, it can, it's always like a degree of like, well, what about this? What about that? Okay, you can only do it in hospitals, but then what if I don't want to go to a hospital and I'm at home suffering, you know, and I can't be moved, for example. I live too far away. Yeah, this is this is where concessions have to be made, right? I mean, you, you, if you want that, that environment or that legal environment to go through, it has to be in a controlled environment as well. And in that case, a medically assisted um, way of going. And it has to happen in a facility. So a medical facility, may that be a hospital or a clinic, you cannot ask people to start doing things like that at home because you there are again there are there are ethic 
ethics uh, there are moral questions to be answered and there needs to be a follow-up and you need to accompany not only the, the the patient but also the family or the you know the the wife the parents whatever i mean it's it's a it's not an easy decision to make right it's it's and has it's like the ultimate consequence to life so you you have it has to happen like it, it has to be a discussion and it shouldn't be something that happens overnight it has to be a discussions over weeks or months maybe um where you you can control the components of that and as you say you need to put some some barriers to it as well it needs to be controlled because you don't want it to go wild but if if well controlled i think it could it could really improve. Um, it could really improve someone's someone's end, and I think that's the only case where a teenager should be should be considered. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Yeah, I mean, you can always you can always find exceptions. You can always find crazy cases, but um, I think the main idea is there. Yeah, because this is about suffering more than it is about the other way around. Yeah, right. Most of the discussions. Ah, hey. Thank you guys very much for bringing these uh, really interesting topics up. Um, they're much more discursive rather than us saying anything that's right or wrong. And I hope, and we really got to stress that that's what we're aiming for. Um, be interesting to hear what your views are, you know, as the listener. Um, and if you're interested in these kind of topics, let us know. Uh, the idea is to once in a while touch on something a little bit more serious, but really thought-provoking ideas. You know, to make sometimes to just highlight your ignorance on things like the tampon tax for sure that's something that the three of us when we started discussing it were like huh, didn't know well president obama didn't know either <laughs> um and but there are a lot of other people that wouldn't know because it doesn't touch you um any parting thoughts or ideas on this no no thank you very much if we manage to kickstart some discussions and provoke some thinking happy with that Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of What's the Why podcast. And we'll see you next week. Thank Bye. You Bye. I always take time.